0: So, Shrek, uh, talking ogres and flying donkeys, seems like our Bible reading this morning could have been an outtake from this Pixar film. The question isn't can donkeys talk? That seems to be a given. It's rather can donkeys fly? Rich Mullins has said that the Bible is full of weirdos, and he liked to point out all the weird characters and events that we find in the Bible. In fact, he wrote a song about some of them. And sometimes we just skip over the weird or disturbing things we find in there, or other times we allow our familiarity with the Bible to keep us from realizing how weird some of the events actually are. The Christmas story, for example, seems normal to us because we hear it every year, but it wasn't so normal for those who first encountered it. Or the Easter story that we celebrated and heard about last week. We've become so familiar with the story that it's almost like Titanic because we know what's going to happen in the end. Or think of the word Samaritan, meaning something completely different in the time of Jesus to what it does now. Now it has just become synonymous with the word good. Well, today and over the next couple of weeks that I'll be leading, I want us to spend some time looking at some of those weirdos from the Bible, those strange stories that make us scratch our heads and wonder why God works the way that he does. And think if we can learn something from these ordinary, messed up, somewhat crazy people that we find in Scripture, because really, at the end of the day, we are ordinary, messed up and somewhat crazy and maybe God can work in our lives in the same way that he worked in theirs. So I'm calling this kind of series that will be running on alternate weeks, Colourful Characters, because so often we have colored in pictures of these characters in Sunday school, and somehow we just maybe leave them there, like I've never um, been in church when I've heard this story shared. So it's about re-engaging, re-encountering with these stories, maybe from our childhood. And as you're listening, I want you to be asking yourself two questions. What have you had learned from the story today, and what makes you want to live your life in a different way. So over the next couple of weeks we'll be looking at Joshua, Samson and Esther and today's colourful character is Balaam. I didn't do the colouring in on the screen though my colouring in probably is that bad. So welcome to the world of Balaam and his donkey and to properly understand this story well we really need to just delve right into in. Is this just a tale about a man and his donkey, or is there more to this strange Old Testament story than meets the eye? We need to see what's happening and what led to it. So up until this point, as Philip was reading, basically you have the people of Israel. They've been wandering through the wilderness, through the desert for 40 years, and now they're starting to move towards the promised land. Their wandering is beginning to come to an end and they're making their way to the land that God has prepared for them. But to get there, they need to travel through some other countries like Eden, Ammon and Moab. They actually try to make peace with a couple of these peoples in order to cross through their land on the way to their destination. But the nations were scared of them and made war on them. And in the book of Numbers... Tells us that God was with them and He defeated these nations and conquered their lands. So, one of these countries is Moab, which was right on the other side of the Jordan from the Promised Land. And the king of Moab was a guy called Balak. And Balak was a bit wiser than the other kings around him. He knew that Israel's victories weren't just maybe down to their strength, and he needed something more than strength to defeat them. Basically, as a king, he wanted to have the upper hand. So he sent for a prophet, a guy named Balaam, who lived over in Iraq. Now, Balaam is a kind of interesting guy, because Balaam's not an Israelite, and he was a prophet, sort of, of the Lord, or a prophet in general. Balaam wasn't a Jew. He was a foreigner from Mesopotamia, And when I initially read this story, I couldn't quite figure out what was going on with this guy. There seems to be more to him than meets the eye. Many people in his day considered him a prophet, but was he or was he not? At least he wasn't in the biblical sense. He was some kind of sorcerer or far eastern witch doctor, someone who was called upon to place curses on people. Religion was his business but not his lifestyle. Beliefs and curses and blessings was common in Old Testament times, and sorcerers were thought to have the power with the gods. So the king of Moab wanted Balaam to use his powers with the God of Israel to place a curse on Israel, hoping that the magic would turn the situation around. Obviously, neither Balaam or Balak had any idea who they were dealing with. So, Balak sends a crowd of men to meet with Balaam, and being polite, considering they would have had to travel around 450 miles, roughly 20 to 25 days on foot, he invites them in, receives them, as that's probably the only polite thing to do. They say to Balaam that whoever you bless will be blessed, and whoever you curse will be cursed. And what does Balaam say after receiving them? Well, he tells them that they need to go and check with God about whether to come with them. He prayed and received an answer from God, not to go. So he sent the messengers home, and that should be the end of the story. But it isn't. About 60 days later, we get to see whether or not God has changed his mind. You see, Balak sends for him again, and this time offering a great reward to Balaam if he comes. And at first sight, it might seem that Balaam is still on the right page. He says that he won't disobey God, but then he says that he'll ask God again. You can see where this is going. God doesn't really want Balaam to go, but he lets him. And he makes it clear that if he goes... Balaam is to do exactly what he tells him. But then we read these words, that Balaam saddles the donkey and goes, but God was very angry with him. Now this looks a little bit like God is changing his mind. First we have no then we have go with conditions, then we have Balaam goes, and then we have God gets very upset. It doesn't seem to make sense, so there must be something going on beneath the surface that we aren't just getting. Now, this is where the story all gets a little bit technical in the Hebrew language. And as I'm no Hebrew scholar and I can see Desi, I don't really want to get bogged down. But basically, the first time, according to some scholars, God is saying, don't go physically and mentally with them. And the second time, God is saying, go physically, but not mentally. And the problem in the story lies with the fact that Balaam goes both mentally and physically. So the root of the problem is Balaam not going under the terms that God asked him. And then we come to the point in the story which is a little bit Shrek-like. We get to read the story of Balaam and his donkey. Balaam traveling along the path on his donkey and the donkey sees that there was an angel on the road. And in, in the path in front of him. And I'm guessing this wasn't some kind of cute, cuddly angel, as we heard later in the reading that um, it was going to strike Balaam down. So the donkey pulls off the road to try and avoid the angel. And what does Balaam do? Balaam gets angry and he beats the donkey because it kept going off the road. Here's where the story gets fun the donkey opens its mouth. And begins to speak to Balaam. That's right. The donkey speaks with him. The donkey calls out to him, calls out on sorry, the donkey calls him out on his meanness. Why have you beat me? It asks. And Balaam's response is even worse now that he has someone to yell at. Here we have what I can only describe as our first incident of road rage in the Bible. I'll kill you right now if I had a sword because you've made me look foolish, thankfully. Well, I hope none of us say that to people when they cut us up when we're driving. But Balaam in our story was more worried about what the messengers with him thought of him than his donkey. Again, back to our lives. What worries us the most? Is it about how we look, what people are going to think about us, or is it about doing the God thing? Now, back To Balaam and his donkey. He just screams at it and tells it he wishes he could kill it because it made him look like a fool. But there's always a but. All of the sudden, Balaam's eyes are opened and he sees the whole picture. He sees what the donkey had already seen. He sees what he thought was going to make him look foolish was actually saving his life. And Balaam here realises the error of his ways, the danger of his path, and he repents. Of course, this story is laced with irony for its original hearers because not only can this powerful prophet not control his own donkey, but in the Hebrew, the translation for donkey here is actually female donkey. In a society where men were the head of the family, in a society where the man's word was the final word, in fact, the only word, here is a man, in fact, a prophet of sorts, who can't even control his own female donkey. In fact, it is the female donkey that is more perceptive to the things of God than he is. And at the end of the day, being perceptive to the things of God is his day job. What we see in this story is that God certainly can be creative. What we see in this story is sometimes God has to go to extreme measures for us to actually hear what he is saying to us. But we're left with some questions as we come away from this story and they all involve the letter W. I know. Look at me being all traditional Presbyterian. It's okay. Don't panic. It's just a phase. Work with me. Questions. Why use talking donkeys? Secondly, why does it come to this? And thirdly, what was Balaam's issue? And when we really look beneath the surface, when we try to get into the mind of Balaam, what do we find? Balaam didn't like hearing no. First time Balaam's answers from God couldn't be any clearer. He asked you to go and the answer is no. But what do we see again? Well, we see Balaam comes back to God when there's money involved and says, should I go? Almost like saying to God, are you sure that's your final answer? How do you like hearing no? No. Are you any good at saying no? I have to admit no is one of the hardest words for me to say. I will prefer to say yes to everything everyone asks me to do when I know that doing everything everyone asks me to do means that I'll probably end up totally exhausted and why I don't like saying no and I know that people don't like hearing no when God is speaking into our lives and the situations that we find ourselves in, how many of us like to hear the word no? How many of us like to hear God say, no, this isn't the best thing for you? How many of us like to hear, no, this is not a good habit to have? I know I certainly don't. In fact, I'm probably a Balaam. I want to go back to God and check whether he actually meant no, or I was just hearing him wrong, and what he actually meant was yes, with conditions. In fact, we make many excuses when we hear the word no. Sure, I'm only 27. I'm only going to get to live this life once and well if I don't enjoy my 20s and 30s well. Or how about but that's how I was raised, God, and you might be saying no, but sure, everyone else in my family behaves like that, and it doesn't seem to do them any bother. Or how about, but that's just how things work in my workplace, if I want to get ahead, if I really just need to behave like everyone else to be liked, because I'm never going to move up a pay grade if I don't. No. But do you think that any of the excuses that we make up, do you think that no matter how we try to rationalize the situation to God, do you think that no matter what we try to do, that it's going to cause God to think about the no and say, do you know what? You're right. Why didn't I take all of that into consideration? Or do you think it's going to cause God to say, do you know what? You're right and I'm wrong. This really is just what you need to do in order to get ahead in life. Or is it going to cause God to say, I'm sorry, you know what, I've checked and maybe that is just the way your family behave and you're right, it doesn't seem to be doing them any harm. So sure, I've apologized, just you go on ahead. No. In a way, we all really can be like this weirdo Balaam can't we? All of us don't like hearing no when it cuts to the very heart of what we really want to do. This morning, as we come to this table where there is so much more on offer, As we come to this table that offers total forgiveness. As we come to this table that has a record of wrongs wiped totally clean. As we come to this table, a space to find peace. As we come to this table, an opportunity to let go. As we come to this table, a table that says, come as you are and let's work out life together. As we come to this table, ask yourself the question, Are there areas in my life where I need to say no, but keep saying yes? The whole thing about following Jesus is clear. We're called to be followers, not people who have it all sorted out. Follow. How did Christianity become a religion of, I know, you don't. I know the right path, you don't. I'm an insider. You're not. This table simply says, follow. Follow, follow. But in our following, let's not push Jesus to the side because we feel that actually we know a better way of getting things done. That we know a way that's actually quite quicker. And Jesus, you're just taking the long way. So out of my road, And if we're left to our own devices, we often think, I could get things done a lot faster. This morning, this table says, follow, follow, follow. As we come to communion and the band lead us uh, in our praise as we come to communion, why don't we think as we reflect on the words of the song, how deep the Father's love for us What things in our lives are we saying yes to when we really need to say no? Let's follow into communion.